0: I don't know what is happening to me. All I know is that it is happening. Tonight on The CW. Are you a superhero? Superheroes aren't real. What if they are? It's the incredible new series from Ava DuVernay. You have power I have never felt before. This is real, whether you believe it or not. I
1: just want to be normal. You're not normal. You, Naomi McDuffie, are exceptional.
0: Naomi, the can't-miss series premiere tonight on The CW.
1: Tonight at 9, only on DCW 50, Washington CW. Hello and welcome to another episode of Back to the Bird presented by the Podhub Network. My guest today is a Pittsburgh native with a law doctorate, but he's more commonly known for his critiques of the city's beloved sports teams. And it is how he landed a career as an NFL analyst and journalist. Please welcome Christopher Carter. Chris, what's up, man? How you doing? What's up, Cody? Thanks for having me here. Yeah, uh, pleasure to have you. Um, You're a guy that I've been following for a while now. I always love what you got to say about the pirates or even pop culture. So I'm glad to have you on. <laughs> this is, yeah, it's always cool to do stuff. I, I like, I like this idea of getting more to know
0: about the Pittsburgh scene. Cause I think there's a lot to be had here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about your upbringing. Let's talk about growing up in the city of Pittsburgh in the neighborhood of Homewood. What was that like? Um,
0: so I grew up in Homewood, you know, on the Homewood point breeze fringe of, uh, of, of the, of the East end. Uh, You know, it was, it was, I mean, I loved it. I grew up in, you know, I went to Regent Square Elementary, which is now a charter school. Um, And then I went to Rogers Kappa for middle school. Um, I played the trumpet a lot, loved doing that. And then I went to, all. I ended up going to Alderdice where I played, did football, band and and any number of activities. But I mean, I I loved it. Um, I loved, uh, you know, I loved growing up on the East end. I still live on the East end. I do live in Homewood now. Um, And uh, it's, it's a fun it, it, you know it's it's a fun part of part of the town because you have all the parks that you want, but it also has a lot of stuff to do. Um, but as a kid, yeah, like I, my parents were very, uh, my parents were, were not. I wouldn't say strict, but they, I was much, uh, I guess, much more contained than, than most kids. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. I I wouldn't be out at any number of hours if I was out when the streetlights were on and it was a, it was a problem. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and, but the other thing was, I was always involved in activities. Like even before high school, I played basketball, I played baseball, I played football. I did the band. I was, I volunteered here. I did this, I did that. And I was just, it was just every day I was doing something. So like, you know, I never had time to get into anything other than that. And then the few things I did, I just played,
1: uh, with my friends on my cul-de-sac on pinfield court. Nice. Now I want to get more into the band stuff and that you played trumpet because, not a lot of my guests have said that they're musically inclined, so I think that's unique. Uh, tell me about that, when did you start playing the trumpet? Third grade, um, it was actually crazy. Um, I read a book about Wynton Marsalis when I was a little kid
0: uh, in my school library and I was like, this looks really cool. And then my, and I asked dad about because my dad's a music teacher, he still is at uh, Conroy on the North side. And um, so my dad had some Wynton Marsalis albums and so I listened to him like, oh, that sounds great. So then, uh, I, I you know my elementary school had a had like a you know a band program. I got into that, played for three years, and then I got really into it. Um, I really liked being, I, I I really liked the sound of the trumpet, just how it just you, know, you could you could sing with it, you could play most melodies with it, um, and uh, I got really good. I started going to the center for music and talented. That got me into the the middle school Kappa, um, and Rogers had a great time there. Um, but then I I think it was at Rogers where I realized like, I don't want this to be like my, my life. Cause like, I, I could have, I also like got an injury that took me out of most of my seventh grade year. Um, so I kind of missed out on some of the things that, but I realized like, it was like, yeah, like I don't love it like that, but I do love it in the sense that I want to keep doing it. So then, uh, when I got to high school, um, I almost quit because our first teacher, I was just not a fan. He was just. (laughs) He played, all we did was Sousa Marshes. It was boring. It was just like, this is the most mayonnaise I've ever, <laughs> yeah. but then my uh, my sophomore year, he retires. And then we get this new teacher, Brian Lee. And Brian Lee changed my whole outlook on music. Uh, he comes in, we had two weeks, two weeks to prepare for, to be the, the pit in the school musical. We were doing Sousa the musical, which if you, If you don't know about musicals, Seussical is ridiculous because it is just a consistent nonstop, like most musicals, you have breaks, you have times of the time. In that musical, you play from start to finish and outside of the intermission. And it's like, there's no stopping. Um, And we we got nominated for a Kelly award. And after that, Mr. Lee came in, we played fun songs. It got me into it. He helped me, he kind of helped me refine my love for why I liked the trumpet in the first place. Um, And so I did that with him for three years. Loved doing that. I was really proud when they won a Kelly award after I graduated. Um, But then I took that and I went to Cheney University uh, for their marching band. And uh, if you don't know about Cheney University, it's the first ever historically black college university in the US. Um, So it's an HBCU. And so HBCU marching bands are not your typical marching band. No. Like, if you, <laughs> if you want a, a, a taste of it, one, you can YouTube it. But if you ever seen the movie Drumline with Nick Cannon, that's the culture they're trying to capture in that movie, yep. where... You know, like at Alderdice, I was taught court style marching. Where when you're marching the street, it's just you step on your heel, you roll to your toe, and it's just very simple and it's casual. But when you're in the HBCU marching band, you're high step and your knees are coming up to your chest with every step, and you're and you're moving and you're going and you're yelling, you're getting chants going, and every, and then and then when the song comes, then you got to be loud, you got to be out there, and it's 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 a whole extra thing, and that was probably the most fun I've ever had playing my trumpet was my four years at Cheney. We, we played, we marched in Harlem, we battled bands in Philadelphia. Like I, I, that is one of the things that I miss the most. I think that is the thing I miss the most about the trumpet was my, my days playing at football games, basketball games, everything at Cheney. I even, we, we even had like a jazz band when I loved jazz. That was like my favorite form of play. And uh, it's, it's awkward now because of who this is, but there was one time we're playing at a, at a ball and we're the jazz band. And because I, I had done, I had done a lot of studying in music. I was often a guy relied upon to carry certain ensembles. And so we're playing jazz and we're playing an earth, wind and fire song and I'm asked to improvise. So I do my improvise blah, 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 and I, I love my improvise. I'd be loud, proud, going all over the place, using dynamics and, um, a celebrity walks in the room and it was Bill Cosby and uh he sits there and he's kind of like jamming to us and then afterwards he starts making j- jokes because he used to play the drums and jazz and again it's weird now because this is bill cosby yeah um <laughs> but he he uh he actually talks to my band director like he whispers something to him and then he, go- he walks away and then my band director's like he wants to talk to you and so i like so i grab a notepad and so i went over and talked to him and there's a picture of this to this day i took it off my facebook because i was just like and eh, i don't want to yeah it gives, there's a lot of people that he hurt so i don't want to but but still to it was like that moment where I was like, some, this guy who is like this famous dude really thought I was good. And I thought that was an interesting story. But you know, he was uh, on on brand Bill Cosby. He said, You have a great ear for <laughs> improvisation. You buy me of Charlie Parker. And, and, and I'm like, what? Like, okay. And then he's like, I have some great advice for you that I want you to carry with the rest of your life. And I'm thinking like, okay, this is music advice, this is professional advice. Said, Don't do drugs. And I said, <laughs> thank you, Dr. Cosby. And again, oh, it is ironic goodness. that he said that considering. That's,
1: yeah, it's extremely ironic. I mean, yeah, but- hey, it's still like, I mean, everything he'd done aside, it's mm-hmm. like, it's still someone that said, they've been to the pinnacle yeah. to recognize what you're doing. Is, that's always feels good. But- it I want to talk about or not really talk about I just want to mention I feel like I would have had a similar road if I played the trumpet whenever Mm. I was young. What'd you play? But I played the trombone it was oh we don't have any we don't have any trumpets left to rent out but we have trombones and I played it for two years and I was like you know they started to ask me to play in the band Mm. you know it's that stigma of oh the band kids don't play football blah, blah blah and I was like I'm more of a football player I'm gonna go play football so that's That's where that (laughs) ended. I I totally get that. There's actually a funny story. Um,
0: We played some team from West Virginia when I was in Alderdice, right? Because I I did both. I I did marching band uh, and all sorts of bands at Alderdice while I was a captain on the football team. So my senior year, we played some team in West Virginia. It was a really close game, went down to the wire and it was an early, it was like a noon game. So I didn't eat a breakfast. I kind of was like, I was like, I didn't like, I liked to, to, to come onto the field with a little bit of like butterflies. And if I eat, like I felt like it weighed my stomach down. So I would come in lighter. Um, and we, I had a good game. Like we blocked, we scored some good touchdowns. I was a lineman. And, uh, but after the game was over, there was a, a band competition on at Montour. So as soon as the bus arrives, I throw my equipment off and I jump on this school bus, and, or not school bus, a, pa- a band parent was waiting for me because they had, the band had already been there. So a band parent yeah. there, I change in the car on the way to Montour. And then I like, I get to Montour and I'm like, do you have any idea where the band is? Like, no. And if you ain't been to Montour, it's a big school. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I take my trumpet out this car and I just start running through this school. And I'm like, where are they? Where are they? And then I hear, and I'm like, oh, that's our cadence. So I, I'm like <laughs> tracking down the cadence. I get to the cadence and then like, all right. So then we're doing the practice. I have no idea what we're practicing. So I learn on the spot. I'm like, all right, we got to learn. Uh, this, what, what, where am I stepping? What music we play? All right, cool, cool, cool. I think we played Louis, Louis, or something like that. And so I do all this. And by the way, at this point in the day, I've played a full football game I'm about to be in a band <laughs> competition, it's about to be like 8 PM. So, and I haven't eaten anything. Yeah. So. I so like we we do it we we perform and people cheer and we walk off. Cody, the first the I, all I remember is walking through the doors of the gym and then the next thing I know, Mr. Lee, my band director, is waving a chicken a Chick fil A sandwich in my face. Wake up, wake up, wake up! <laughs> He's like, "You passed out." And I'm like, "What?" Oh my goodness! Um, but uh, but but that was the life of band and football. I understand because yeah. it was it was a lot and I, I caught a lot of hell for it in practice too. Guys used to mess mess around with me and. So guys yeah, like would steal my trumpet on occasion. I had to like track it down. But uh, but yeah, man, it was uh it was a different kind of thing.
1: Yeah, no, that's one of those things that early on in my life I was like, I gotta choose one and I'm going with football. So speaking of football, you said you were a captain on the football team. What was that? What was that experience like playing for Alder Dice? It was different because my my father
0: was a coach at Peabody and okay. another city school in Pittsburgh. And um the 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 <laughs> they weren't like rival rivals, but everybody's kind of rivals when you're in the city league. Um, So my dad, and like, it was crazy because all my childhood, I was a Peabody kid. Um, Like Kevin Barlow, who went to the Niners. Like I remember him when I was like a little kid, you know, being on the practice field and and all this other stuff. Um, And I, I was... Super invested in that team. Like I when I was like 10 years old, I used to like make all the the Peabody teams on Madden. I'm like, all right, that's this is Maurice Sale. He's the wide receiver. He's just candidate. Like, you know, like I was I was that kind of a football nerd. Um, and but it was also how I got into football because I studied film with my dad because plenty, plenty late nights, he would be constructing the tapes that he would send out to colleges for his kids. He was just an assistant coach, but he still tried to do as much as he could to help his kids, his players get to college. Um, and so he had all these highlight tapes. And as I'm watching him, I, that was how I'd kind of like cheat on my bedtime. I would like sit there like, hey, dad, what kind of defense is that? Hey, dad, what kind of <laughs> run is that? And, and like, it would usually work for about like half hour before he realized, you're just trying to get out of sleep. Go take your butt to bed. Um, and, 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 but but it got my interest in football. And then it really helped with, you know, me when I got to Alderdeus. And I knew all the lineman technique. And that was the thing. I was very, I had asthma. So I could, I was never fast. I could never, and even when I got a little bit of speed, I couldn't keep it up because I would always just start wheezing and huffing. But on the line, I knew the techniques of my dad was a line coach. So I was very undersized. But by the time I was a senior, I worked my way to being a starter because I was so good at my technique. Um, And I I don't think it clicked for me because I wasn't ever like a mean guy on the football field until like, I'd say like, a couple weeks into my senior year. Cause my, my thing was, right, I just got to do my job. I just got to block my guy. And it wasn't until my senior, well, no, I would say my, I got that a little bit my junior year, but seniors when I filled out my body and I got really strong, but that was when I realized I have to bury someone every single play. I can't just block sh- and, 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 you know, shield you one way to make sure my running back goes the other way. And when it clicked for me there, that's when football got really fun. Um, and, and I was, I, I the thing was, I, I never missed a practice. So, uh, my coaches appreciated that about me, and I wasn't the best football player, but I was I was good enough to uh, to start, and uh, and I was a guy that you know some of the guys on the team you know told me they looked up to me, and I, that always meant a lot to me. So um, I, I miss it, like when I smell fresh cut grass in, in in summer. I'm like, ah, you know, like there's that there's that sense there, um, and, and I wish I could still play football, but you know, pandemic stuff have kind of even halted like flag leagues at this point.
1: Yeah, um, but uh,
0: but yeah, it, it was it was a lot of fun. But like when I went to college, I was like, oh, I know I'm not doing. I'm not about that life.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wish I would have realized that. I played one year of D three ball, and I was just like, nah. Like it's it, just were... like
0: another level of, of, of life commitment, man. Like, yeah.
1: Like... I was just like, was, I'd rather I'd rather graduate, you know, instead of dedicate my life to being on Division three football team. Not that there's anything wrong with D three. Right, right. It's and just it, that yeah, I did, like I didn't see myself. I was a five eleven left tackle. And they've shifted Oof. me to guard. Oof. Yeah. And I was like, they already don't want me to play my position that I know, like, well, so why keep going? <laughs> right.
0: Like it's. Just, and again, you just got to find, like, if Cheney, they wanted me to play football, you know, because also Cheney's football team is, like, one of the worst, what was, what they had to close the football team a few years ago. But, I mean, like, if you, if you ever watch the Water Boy and there's that one ESPN scene where they're explaining how bad this fictional school is that Adam Sandler attends they're listing like it amongst the worst college football teams of all time and on this fictional list was my school (laughs) Cheney University um like that's how bad it was and so it's like there was a point I was like I could I could try to try some college ball you know I could you know do my thing and then I'll put the record I was like oh no oh no I'm not getting my butt kicked every day to get my butt kicked every Saturday no 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 and um, and and it worked out that way because in my four years of playing in the band i we only won two games and they were
1: both games that we did not play at so
0: <laughs> i still have never seen in person Janie win a football game
1: <laughs> yeah no that also went into my decision to stop playing college ball because like i came from a program where it's like we were used to going to playoffs like we went to the semifinals my junior year like and then i went to college and we were like a 500 squad and i was like I'm not used to losing, especially on the football field. I don't want to get used to it. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, no, I'm done. (laughs) So I do want to talk to you about your time at Chaney and it being an HBCU. It seems like now like it's becoming or HBCUs are being talked about more in the Mm -hmm. mainstream. I mean, you got uh, Dion Sanders, who's coaching at Jackson state. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, there's more talk about HBCUs. Um, I just want to know, what do you think about that? And do you think it's, like, about time that people start talking about HBCUs more? Absolutely. And, I mean, the, the history of HBCUs is just so important. And I think it's important for people to understand what an
0: HBCU is because a lot of people say, oh, that's a black school. And like, it's a historically black school. It was, fu- it was founded in times when either it was, A, illegal for black people to go to school with white people, or B, when it was discouraged. Um, like, Cheney University, we're founded in 1837. Slavery was going on. Like, like, yeah. like you know, that you know, that's, that's the thing. And then even a lot of, a lot of HBCUs were founded in the early 1900s, even the mid 1900s, when it was just like, you know, like, you know, most schools still weren't integrated in the 60s. So, um, you know, there's, that that's kind of where hbcus come from but i mean there's still such amazing culture and so many amazing people most black professionals statistically come from HBCUs. still um it's an environment where as a black person like when i was at Alderdice, i was a black kid and i'm I'm mixed also my mom's white my dad's black but you identify african-american most of the time when you're mixed because you're still discriminated against like you're an african-american and you are um but you know growing up i always had to deal, like you know when i was at alter you know i had to deal with people who were like you know uh like didn't understand who malcolm x was or told me well martin luther king didn't know he was going to get assassinated he j- it just happened and it, like he didn't he didn't have any reason to fear for his life and i'm looking like yeah, you, you crazy yeah like, you understand how and, and, and like it was so like i was known as it as most black students are in high school you know you're known as the black history buff if you're the black kid in the white classroom and every time there was a black history question, they look at me and I think it's most times I'd know because my father was a teacher and he was instilled that in me. And I, you know, I read all sorts of, all sorts of books. Um, I even got into a, um, a national black history contest uh, where my senior year uh, Alderdice had a team and we won the city contest. And so then we represented Pittsburgh in a national contest um, in Las Vegas. And we placed in the top eight in that contest. It was actually really cool. Um, but, but at an HBCU, like, you know, none of those questions happen. Like, you know, like it, it, at Alderdice, I dealt with racism. I had neo-Nazis as classmates. I had people, you know, question, say that I was stupid because I was black and, and like having to argue with that and fight that. And even you have teachers who thought less of you because of the color of your skin. That's still very, something that ha- existed then and still exists today um, in, in a lot of schools. But when you're at Cheney, you don't have to worry about that because everybody, understands the culture everybody understands that struggle um and, and that goes for pretty much all the hbcu experiences so and and there's white people that go to hbcus a lot of white people are like oh i can't go they're like yes you can in fact yeah. <laughs> would love it if you did because they you know they love diversity um so it, it's an amazing culture that i think more people are, are getting hip to um where the sports aspect of it is like that's really interesting cody is historically hbcus where were where a lot of superstars came from because black athletes just didn't get as much shine at, at white schools at, yeah. you know, at predominantly white schools um and you still had like your you know your your pits your syracuses your notre dames that that brought in the ones they really liked but the majority of, of players black players still i mean that's what made the steelers of the 70s you exactly. know guys like mel blunt ernie holmes you know just like left and right and then eventually when you saw the rush in the 80s when like walter Payton and jerry rice they went to HBCUs. And after people realized after after like the d1 programs they were like oh wait we are letting that kind of talent slip away yeah that changed the dynamics and now hbcus aren't powerhouses anymore as far as developing that kind of talent
1: yeah i was about to say like look at the work that bill nunn did as the scout for the steelers he brought in that he brought in that entire team that ran the 70s so it's it was it's something you know to keep everybody like it should be a bigger part of american history in my opinion and i want to go back to what you said about like public like growing up in public schools and like having being being the minority i feel like even the education itself i don't want to get too much into this conversation it just it just popped up into my head like like you said uh people were like oh he didn't know he was mlk didn't know he was gonna get assassinated Mm -hmm. and it's like that's kind of what we were taught in public school is that oh he just got assassinated one day Mm -hmm. and it's like you know with with how much information we're able to pull at once now with the internet and how, the accessibility of it it's like you'd expect these things to change and unfortunately i don't think they have no i agree um it's it's unfortunate like you know i,
0: I again i went to Alderdice and it even it, that's in a jewish neighborhood of squirrel hill and i had a lot of jewish friends but like i, I once had an argument where you know, they were trying to tell me that like more you know there weren't as many black people that died in the african diaspora in the slave trade or was went through the slave trade as many as the Holocaust, and I'm like that's just factually incorrect, and, mm. and it's like that's how mistaught or not taught Black history is, you know, growing up in most parts of the country. I mean, if you go down south, there's a lot of people that think that, this, that the Civil War is about states' rights and not about slavery. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's it's frustrating. It's something that you kind of have to deal with, and, and it's it's something that I think that you know that a lot of Black people need to get therapy for. When they get out, when they get out of, it. and then it was kind of weird also going from that, going from Alderdice to Cheney, and then back to Pittsburgh, where I was in, you know, I was I was at Pitt, so I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, well, back into this, and, and and I still, I think it definitely helped me a lot find myself at Cheney because I had people believe in me and pull things out of me that I didn't even know existed, like you know, my stuff with my band. You know, I became like I was student government president at Cheney. I was the NAACP president. I I did all these leadership things. I, you know, I did I did so many different projects that I never like, you know, I was told when I was at Alderdice, my guidance counselor said, you shouldn't apply to Carnegie Mellon. You shouldn't apply to Ivy League schools, even though I had a three, seven, six GPA, was a captain yeah. on the football team, was a trumpet section leader and all these other things on my resume. They said, you you wouldn't do so well there. You need to go to like, you know, Penn you know, you know, Penn State off campus. And I'm like, you think that little of me? Yeah. And it's like, okay. And, it, but it, when I was at Cheney, they were like, dude, you can do whatever you want, as long as you put your mind to it. And, um, and that motivated me to, to, to step out of myself or and figure out where my strengths and weaknesses were.
1: Yeah, no, and it's, I learned these things, like, once I went to college, now, now that I'm out of college, you kind of learn the, like the real history. And it's, it's, it's very eye opening, And it's, I don't know. It's just stuff that it's like, I can't believe we're not telling the truth in public school. So I want to move on though, and talk about your college career a little more. And the fact that you went to school to get a doctorate in law, Mm -hmm. now you're writing sports. Like let's, let's just talk about that story. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um,
0: So the transition really started. I was working my second summer of law school and um it was. I was working at an unpaid internship at the federal public defender's office downtown in Pittsburgh, and I was loving it. Uh, I to this day, I think I thank Uh He was the guy that was really my mentor there. I worked with him a ton. He showed me a lot about, you know, where I needed to work on and what I needed to do and what it meant to be a real defense attorney. And I was like, wow, this is like really engaging. And some of the cases that I got to see there were just fascinating. Um, but while I was there, I realized I need to make some money. And, um, so I was applying to like, you know, just physical jobs, you know, like, you know, you know, your retail or, you know, spa service, whatever. But then my mother sent me a Craigslist ad for a, uh, a blog, a Steelers blog. And I was like, huh? Okay, whatever. <laughs> so it was like, right. And so this, this was the summer of 2013. And so this was, uh, right. What, uh, what was the summer of 2012 it Was 2013, one of the two. Um, no, so 2013, because, because yeah, that would have worked. Um, but I, you know, it was was right about, um, uh, who's going to be the leading rusher for the Steelers, and you know, that year, and it was right like a 400 word thing. And I wrote like a just a a short little blurb, and I was just like, it was like, it's obviously going to be Le'Veon Bell because he's a new running back, and Todd Haley's not afraid to use new running backs. And within an hour, I get a call from the editor of Behind the Steel Curtain, Neil Coolong. He's like, who the hell are you? And, and, <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, Neil and I have a conversation. And he's like, well, you obviously have your head on, right? So uh, I'd like you to come on. Now, I was, I was still unpaid by, by, by Behind the Steel Curtain. But it was something fun to do. And then eventually, like when school got back going, I wouldn't write for a while. Um, but then when Neil left, Jeff Hartman took over. And he's still the editor now. And uh, he, uh, he, gave, he he gave said, hey, I need you as my right-hand man. You're one of the best football minds in the site. People don't know it. Um, and he got me paid from behind the still curtain. And it wasn't a whole lot, but it was enough to say, like, hey, this justifies me investing a little bit more time in it. Um, so I would write on occasion. You know, I did it, you know, towards the end of, you know, when I graduated law school. Uh, and then even when I started working after law school. Um, and, uh, you know, I did that for years. Uh, for like a few years, and um, I started developing. I learned how to edit film and turn it into a GIF, and that was yeah. my biggest thing. Is I wanted to learn how to do that, and once yeah, I learned yeah, yeah. how to do it, I was like, "Let's get this film analysis cracking." And that's people are like, "Yo, Chris
1: knows what he's talking about." I'm like, "Aha, eh, hey, I know, right?" Yeah. Um, now, before uh, before we keep going, I want to well, know why did you get into law in the first place, and then decide to switch? Well, I mean, I've always been a person who wanted to advocate for other people
0: and to fight for other people and to, to help. Um, when I was at Cheney, right? My, I, became, I ran for student government president, won it. And my initial, my initial goal was to help get more, uh, more power in conversations, more leveraging conversations for students uh, because our student body was, you know, and I guess I should paint the whole picture is that when 2008, when the first Obama election happened, I was a, a campus organizer um, that worked on the campus and I was also a vice president on the NAACP board there and we registered the entire campus to vote and that night when Obama won I was told by the local democratic chair of, of Delaware County like, Chris you have flipped this county blue for the first time since like the civil war wow. and he's like and he's like no person has ever done this and and I was like whoa And uh, he's like, yeah, like you get you change university, you did this. And I still remember to this day during the broadcast, Wolf Blitzer was like doing a map on CNN and he was like, this is Delaware County. If
1: the Republicans can't win this, they can't win anything.
0: And we were (laughs) like, we did that. And um, that's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. I started working with the United States Student Association on student rights and you know, fighting for more more funding and more scholarship money. You know, increasing Pell grants. And I realized, like, wow, there's so many things. Um, uh, there's there's so there's so many things that a, uh, um, excuse me, that uh, you know, there's so many things that 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 go into um, just what things that we don't know about how students and people are just screwed. Yeah. In in today's uh, um in today in today's world and so that opened my eyes to that and so my fighting for a student government president cheney um i was fighting for on-campus things you know like you know in strengthening like i realized there were some underhanded things that were happening with the state um, there's actually there was actually a settlement that cheney won years ago uh to get to that that said like hey the commonwealth of pennsylvania you have underfunded us as a state university proportionate to every other state university and the settlement gave Chain University two major scholarship programs, one of which I was on. And um, then my senior year, I'm getting ready, you know, to to graduate and everything. And it was like that February or that March, uh, early March. Tom Corbett, the new governor of Pennsylvania, releases a new budget, and it completely slashes those scholarship funds as well as others. And, um. That was uh, that was a red that was a red alarm, and so we got to work. We went to organizing. We went all over the state. We went to Harrisburg. We got as much political support as we can, and uh, um, we did a lot. Like Chain University, we did a walkout on campus. Like there's still a video out there somewhere of me giving speeches and stuff. Um, but we did a walkout on campus. We organized rallies at Harrisburg, and people um really responded and uh, we got state senator vincent hughes was one of our biggest allies he told you know he told me he was like you you guys doing all this organizing gave us the ammunition to fight for your scholarships and that's what kept it and to this day i believe those scholarships still do uh benefit pennsylvanians all the time um so that was a huge win for us and then from there i was like let me i want to still advocate for people but i didn't know how and i was like well law school that maybe there's something there and so i went to law school um I was still figuring out like at first I wanted to do labor attorney work, but then I I worked, I I interned at a labor office and I was like, eh, I'm okay. Um, And then, you know, criminal defense sounded interesting, but you know, there's also, it was also kind of like taking, but I was like, okay. And then after I graduated, it was, there was a big lull of trying to find a job in Pittsburgh and the legal market it's just been rough. Um, And in fact, and it's, it's, it's even, and what's crazy is, you know, they always say when it's rougher for, for everybody, it's usually even rougher for black people. Um, and that certainly was the case. You know, there were, you know, there was, I, I would send out applications everywhere. I wouldn't get callbacks. And um, there was one time I got a callback um, and uh, I got a phone interview. And over the phone, I give a great interview. And the person says, listen, you're already hired. Like, we're, we're just coming. We have to do an in, if you know, a formal interview, sit down. But like, I'm telling you, you're starting like next week um so i'm like okay cool this is great so i suit up get a fresh haircut get extra copies of my resume all the tricks that you know i've known in my life yeah and i go into the office and i sit around and i wait they call me and, and i'm the only person in this waiting room and this lady comes out and by by the voice, by her voice i know it's the same person i spoke to because she had this, this weird twing to it so i was like um she was like christopher carter and she looked around and i stood up i said hi and then she looks around and she says christopher carter and I said, hi, that's me. I'm Christopher Carter. And I put my hand out. She said, like, oh, hi. And I was like, okay, weird, but all right, whatever. Yeah. So we go in, we do practically the same interview. And what's, you know, one thing I always know was always dazzle your interviewer. You know, you always try to give, if they ask the same question twice, don't give the same answer twice. Give them a better answer, expand, expand, you know, yeah. you know give them all, that. so I did all that. I bring out all my stuff. I show them like, hey, like I'm up on all, the the word processing programs I'm up on um, all this different stuff here um, you know I can type really fast I know how to research you know Westlaw and all this other stuff so like I, I know my stuff here and she's like okay great I'll be back in like five minutes so she comes back in five minutes she says sorry but you're too qualified I'm like what the hell does that even mean right that yeah, your face that you just made is 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 where well, it was like excuse yeah. me and she said you're like well our clients you know we feel like you know the you know we, we feel like you might leave after you get like a few months in here and then go get a better job and i said well what like first of all no i told you like i'm looking to work for somewhere for like good four or five years establish myself pay my bills and get myself situated and it's um, like at the time nobody else is hiring so right and i'm like who are you? you know I'm, I'm here to work and i'm telling you i'm yeah. here to commit it and she was like you know, no. know and i'm like well ma'am, how am i supposed to get myself established in this field because if if you t- you told me I had this job and now you're telling me I can't have this job because I'm too qualified. Well, if I'm too qualified to have this job and not qualified enough to have the you know the, the the expense the higher paying jobs, what job should I get? And she said, you would make a you know what you should really consider you should you would be a great bouncer. And I said, with my JD, my summa cum laude degree from Cheney, with all these internships. And, the, and how you told me I would be a great fit, your best response to me was I should go be a bouncer? And so I was like, okay, thank you for that advice. I, and so I took that with me and and it took me like a, like a couple hours but I was like, what was the only thing that changed from over the phone to in-person? And it was, she saw what I looked like. And, um, and 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 I've seen it for years, you know, guys who had, you know, who didn't work as hard Getting certain opportunities, you know, and uh, as a black law graduate of Pitt, uh, the Pit Law, there's still black people that are getting jobs here in Pittsburgh. There's a lot of black people that just leave because they're like, it's it's impossible to get jobs here. It's impossible to, to get to find your way here, and it's not impossible because people have done it. I mean, my father did it as a teacher, but it's a lot more difficult. And I mean, t- to be honest, I ha- I had offers to leave Pittsburgh to go to Philadelphia. I People, the Cheney. Uh, f- foundation that I, that that I, that I have they were like hey come out here but I wanted to make it work here in Pittsburgh because this is my home and mm-hmm. I I've, I've seen the racism that happens in, in our city and I don't I didn't I didn't want to run away from it and you know doing that has taken a toll cuz it's it, it's a grind to fight it and it's frustrating every day but um, that's kind of why I stuck around here and I started working on the jobs and then I kept writing and that's when DK found me while I was working at behind the steel curtain and uh, that led to kind of that transition. And I still want to get back to law at some point. I still want to um, help. I still want to find ways to organize. I still work at uh, where I volunteer for the Community Empowerment Association in Homewood. Um, I'm on their board of directors. Even I, I do, you know, I've helped organize events whenever there's stuff going down. They come to me for advice, and we look over things. I've helped written written, written a few uh, a few of their their proposals to the city about how we level uh, of legal p- policies and plans that could help uh, black communities in Pittsburgh. So I still find, excuse me, I still find my ways to do those things, but um, it was just, you know, the, the offer that I got from Dan Kovacevic to come full-time to his job that uh, I, I was like, well, that was one I think I should take.
1: Yeah. And before we get into the rest of your uh, uh, journalism career, I want to, I, I saw in your bio on DK's uh, website that you are involved in a lot of um, community work and like charities. I just want you to talk to us a little bit about all that stuff and kind of just give awareness to that stuff.
0: Um, Yeah, uh, I've I you know I've always tried to volunteer wherever I can. The Community Empowerment Association is kind of like where, where my hub is. Uh, you know, when the Hill House was a thing, I did work with that. Uh, I've always been about organizing and trying to get, you know, whenever, you know, like Black Lives Matter has been a big part of my, you know my just like the movement and seeing anything like when Antoine Rose happened here um you know I'm I'm working two jobs you know actually three jobs at the time and I don't have all the time to to, to invest in it but then when I you know when the word got out like hey there's gonna be a march tonight in East Liberty we need we need men to kind of stand on the lines here and make sure things go, go smoothly and so I you know I went to East Liberty got in the call um and uh, we kind of, you know, we, we kind of patrolled the outsides and made sure it was peaceful. And, uh, and it was crazy because there were people in that, raid. Right, I won't say their names here because the whole point was for us to be anonymous. Like we did, we kind of like wore hoodies and we were just like, you know, we're not here to take the, the, the spotlight off of the, you know, the students and the younger people that organized. And like at one point there was one kid and this kid was like 13, 14, maybe and like we're marching and he and he's mad like everyone else is mad like you know like we're just we're tired of black people getting killed and then nothing happening and so he's just and, and out of frustration he kicks a garbage can over and like two of us walk up like yeah, you, you know, young man he's like I'm sorry I'm just really frustrated like hey that's why we're here that's why we're doing this nothing you no know, that, that was the furthest they got to, to violence that night and you know stuff like that happens uh you know and You know, I've seen, and and some of it's yielded some crazy days. Uh, Like there was a, there was a, uh, there was a meeting we did, and this is, I want to say five or six years ago now, but I was, we were at the Community Empowerment Association and we were hosting a community forum on how we can better improve relationships with our local police department and um, you know because they said you know police officers used to have a beat they used to walk through the streets and get to know people in come out and they we're like that doesn't happen especially in homewood and the hill and black neighborhoods of pittsburgh and so as this meeting's you know starting to wrap up two guys leave and one's a journalist one's like well he was like a photographer and then other, others like a younger teacher and so they're talking and like you know we're kind of starting to file out and across and they're, they're kind of standing on the sides of kelly street which is where it's actually uh, kelly Street's where i live but it's also further down is where cea is at um, and a police car kind of speeds by them as they're standing next to their cars and almost hits them. And they're like, Whoa, that was weird. Um, and the, the, but then the cop car stops, turns around, comes back and he's like, Hey guys, you know, you got, you guys should really, you know, uh, uh sorry about that. I almost hit you guys. You guys should really, uh, you know, write me up for that. And they're like uh no it's fine go on about your business you fine and he's like no no no. I-, I was driving really recklessly there you guys should really uh you know you-, you guys should write me up and so the photographer who was an older gentleman he was kind of like no sir please." You know. and the-, the teacher who was younger was like you know what you did almost kind of hit us I-, I would like to know your badge number and so then the car says all right on on hands on the car right now and and we're like whoa 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 what's happening here and then all of a sudden you know the, and the photographer like he knows he and again he looks like much older like he's been through the struggles he immediately is just he puts his hands on the car he's like i'm not i am with this the teacher's like i have done nothing wrong mm-hmm. do not put your hands on me i have broken no law i only did as you were suggesting that i do and so then the police officer ends up tackling him and then we're like hey get outside and so then the rest of us like officer officer it's okay they're just they're teachers they're with us we're we're working with you guys and the police officer's like we got a riot here on homewood and so Within five minutes, there are 17 police cars, police dogs, and all sorts of people saying, you know, trying to calm the situation down. And we're all, and all of us have our hands up like, hey, 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 it's, it's not, it, this is not that big a deal. And so then, you know, the police, and, and and meanwhile, the the teacher's getting his face shoved into the pavement by this police officer who's just going off, you know, flying off the handle. Uh, and then Mr. Birdsong, Rashad Birdsong, who has been for decades a standout, um, standout leader in the community um he stood up for he he puts his hands up starts walking toward the police like hey guys you guys know me i I talk with mayor peduto all the time they mace him and he's like are you kidding and and so seeing in that moment it's like wow like as we're trying to do the thing to tell our community that we can trust our police officers and work with them they are accosting us and assaulting us and beating us and, and and won't listen to reason in this moment and you know Moments like that just kind of bring into like the, the fact of they're like, wow, like this is, this is the part of the work is also like organizing, talking to people and trying to bridge those, those gaps. And it ain't easy. Um, But it's also something that, you know, someday I think I'd like to invest more time into. It's just right now I work a lot of hours in my personal business. So that takes up a lot of time.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we, obviously it's awesome what you're doing for the community. I, that's an unfortunate situation. It sucks. And I hope that your work, you get, I hope DK gives you more time to work on that stuff <laughs> so that doesn't happen again. <laughs> but speaking of DK, let's talk about your work with DK Pittsburgh Sports. You said before that you started with Behind the Steel Curtain and you just learned how to do everything on the fly. So how did you get that job with DK? Um, so so if the first, the when I became part-time
0: was... Um, uh, it was 2016. It was the summer of 2016. I was working for a, uh, a small, a small attorney office. It was a small criminal family. It was a small, it was small criminal mainly, uh, practice and wasn't having a great time. The person I worked for, I did not like, but I, I needed to pay bills and, uh, DK came along and gave me an offer to be part-time. And I was like, you know what, that'll pay the bills while I figure something else out. So, I took DK's offer to come with it right from part-time. He said he loved my work at Behind the Steel Curtains. said I had a great voice. And then when he started, when, when uh, he put me on like the first couple morning javas, he was like, whoa, you can like talk on camera too. And I said, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, that comes with when you go to law school, you learn to speak out in front of everybody. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so then after that, um, the 2016 season, I kind of just, I do other jobs while I work for DK. And then 2017, he had me uh, travel with Dale for games uh, and, uh, and with Marco Bolli at first, we switched to Dale Lally midseason, season, but that's another thing. But, um, but that was when I started to get a real taste of what it would be like if I was full time covering sports and I was starting to get a feel for how to talk to players in the locker room and what questions to ask and how to push that. Cause I've always been very good at just writing my own opinion and just be like, Hey, yeah. here's what I cite. Here's my stats. Here's my film, bop, 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 bop. my argument, boom, that's an article. Um, but using, using quotes that I had to ask for, that was the kind of the, the, the transition I had to make. And um, I, I was very fortunate to, to get with DK Pittsburgh sports because between Dan Kovacevic and Dale Lally, I've learned a lot. On how to better improve my work as a journalist, um, and uh, so I did that for years. And between that, i i I found like a real I found some really good opportunities. Uh, eventually, in the Pittsburgh market, And I started working. I uh, got with a good company and was doing really good work for them. Got promoted, and uh, was really in a comfortable spot. And then it was this past summer uh, when uh, Dayon was like, "Hey, do you want to go full time?" And first, I was like, "Ah, I'm okay," but. Eventually I was like, you know what? If the money's right, I'll do it. And uh, eventually he made sure the money was right. And so now I'm here working full time.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. And I mean, to be able to work for a guy that's kind of built his brand from the ground up Mm -hmm. and be able to stay in Pittsburgh and do that in your hometown is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a blessing
0: to be able to do it here. And one thing that really sticks out to me in both, writing and tv and radio and podcasting because i do it all. i do all the things um but it makes me really proud when a black person from pittsburgh says i see you and you make me proud like i was i was uh, i was getting dinner with my girlfriend um on the north shore this past weekend and i'm chilling and we're sitting outside and this middle-aged black man like stops his tracks i didn't even see him. my girlfriend saw him at first he was like that's the brother he's like hey Chris Carter. And I said, yes, I am. And he's like, I'll be watching you on TV, man. Me and my kids, you just be giving it to them dudes on TV, man. And I'm like, thanks, man. That means that means a lot. And it's not just him, I mean, former players that my dad coached. Uh, like you said, when I was, I was the water boy, I was the film. I got to carry the film. I carried the pads, you know, at the Peabody practice for years, the guys that I used to look up to who, you know, someone to have, you know, professional collegiate careers, they'll see me on the scene. Like, yo, it's no car. I see you, man. Like you made me so proud. Like, I knew you was going to be da- da. And it's just those type of things. I'm like, wow, that means a lot. So yeah. it, there is, there's a, a, an immense sense of pride when people from my own community see me and they, and they, they remember seeing me because my dad, uh, <laughs> when I was a little kid, um, he would sometimes give me one of those big camcorders. Cause you know, we have, we have phones now and there's even yeah, like yeah. little cameras, <laughs> but back in like the nineties, you had the super duper camcorders that were like ridiculously big. <laughs> so he would send me to, 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 to high school football games and tell me to sit at the top of the stands and just get like a full view of the field. And so I'm like eight, nine years old and I love NFL prime time. And so I so like if you oftentimes the set he would just mute the sound and just watch the t- watch the film but if you turn the sound on a lot of the times you would hear me being Chris Berman boom and like there he goes and, and, like, <laughs> could go all the way. and like one time it happens at a film session with all the players and they start cracking up my dad says don't ever do that um, but um, but it was it was kind of a sense like people remembered that about me and they were like man like we always knew that you were into sports and it's so cool to see you so, so you showing people that you know what the heck you're talking about and representing us that we can do this because there's not a lot of black faces in Pittsburgh media.
1: Yeah. Hey, did you ever put any of those clips of you talking on your nope. reel? Nope. No. Uh-huh. Nope. That's that, that, that's perfect. Those, Show they, people they, they, where
0: you came from. You know. <laughs> <laughs> look, man, it's look. Those are locked away in a safe that y'all will never find. I guarantee y'all <laughs> that.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that. Now, I want to talk more about the uh, you know the up and coming um i don't really know it's just like a content like a independent content creator scene that's coming about you know from my perspective you know you have around the 412 it started like three years ago uh north shore nine who's a pirates podcast they started around the same time and just people have just been getting on the pittsburgh sports content train doing exactly what i'm doing Mm -hmm. just i'm in my house in a room just talking about what i want to talk about that relates to pittsburgh Mm-hmm. And you recently had the Yinshers on your um, po- podcast, Locked on Steelers. And I just want to know, like, what, what are your thoughts on this new, like, independent content boom? I think it's great. I, I, think, it's, I think it's awesome to
0: have people getting their voices out there more. I, I, think that's, I, I think part of the problem for the years has been the gatekeeping as far as, you know, people not getting opportunities. And for a long time, I thought that was where I'd be stuck. You know, behind the steel curtain, I was like, you know, I'm just going to be this blog guy, and that'll be cool. Like, people just know me as as the blog guy. That's fine. And that because I was planning on having a full on legal career where I was making money that way, and this would just be like a hobby of mine. Um, well, then this became a thing, and I was like, well, now we're gonna, you know, put more effort to this. And and I, you know, I don't think that, you know, everyone should have the opportunity to have a voice. Not everybody should be out there talking. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, like, there's a lot <laughs> of people who say opinions. And I'm just like, okay, you stay over there, and that's but. There are people I do check out. You know, I still read. I still check out my behind the steel curtain family with Jeff Hartman and what they do over there. They do great work. Um, you know, on occasion, if, if I'm listening, like if I'm let's check, I'll check out like a local podcast that pops up. inserts was just one that you know I was like, whoa, okay, they got Juju and his family on. And they had uh, they had Brooke on Brooke Pryor on. You know, and I've I've had Brooke on my show. And you know, mm-hmm. Brooke of course, ESPN. You know, that's big yeah. deal. Um, <laughs> and uh and so i've been like okay well let me see who these young ladies are so i listen to their shows and i I like what they're putting together it's obvious they're fans and uh, a lot of people were like oh they're just fans like yes they are but they're fans doing a podcast they're not pretending to be anything else um and to me that's perfectly fine i think that it's cool to have more you know increase of mediums out there because again it diversifies the field i think it makes all of us better um now again when you're malicious with it, I think there's some people out there that just say ridiculous things. And I think that that doesn't help, but that comes with everything, you know, like, yeah. like, you know, like how there's more music available today than there were 20 years ago because of all the ways to publish your music and to get people to hear it. You know, you don't got to sell mixtapes out of your trunk no more. You can yeah. on Spotify <laughs> and bang, it's out exactly. there. Um, but, and with that, there's a lot of great people that we never would have heard of, but there's a lot of bad people we're like, we don't ever want everyone to hear from again. I think- <laughs> it's the same sort of thing with the whole content creation. Is like, it just gives you more to sort through, but I, I still stand behind more is better.
1: Yeah. And I want to get into your point of, you know, they're fans and they're nothing other than fans, but then you also have people like, I would say my friends at around the 412 Smitty in particular, he's a fan of Pittsburgh sports, but he's also really good at writing for Pittsburgh sports and giving an honest opinion about things. So when it comes to being, you know a journalist or a columnist and also being a fan do you think you need to pick one or the other or do you think you can be a fan and a columnist no you need to if you're a columnist you need to step away from it mm-hmm.
0: um uh you know if you're a columnist you need to you need to step away from it uh and you need to be able to um uh to to, to have objectivity and and listen everybody in their heart of hearts when they watch game they they're picking they're rooting for a side you know they're they they want a group to win over another group um and most guys that cover pittsburgh sports want the pittsburgh team to win especially if you're from here um but you still have to keep that out of your reporting um as, as best you can like you know like when i write i write about the good and the bad and i give my realistic takes on who i think you know, needs to improve who I think is carrying the team and this, that, and the third. Um, and, uh, yeah, like it's a, uh, um, I, I think that that's part of the, I think that's part of the, the, the struggle that, that some of the the fans and one thing like, I had to do when I was working at behind the steel curtain, I can still, that, that's a fan blog you can write whatever you want there. Um, but like, I had to get out of rooting for the Steelers because I was like, well, I do So I, in the press box, you know, and it, it took me a little bit of adjusting at first in the press box. Cause you know, I'm looking at it from a, from that perspective, but by like, you know, my second year, I was like, I'm used to this now. And like, uh, like there was one time when the Steelers, I guess when the, so the, the year was what, two, three seasons ago now, when uh, Antonio Brown didn't show up at the Bengals game. And then, uh, the Steelers win the game barely, but then they have to watch to see if the Browns, or the Ravens make the playoffs uh, or the Browns. If the Browns win, the Ravens are out and the Steelers are in, but the Browns lose and the Ravens, Ravens go into the playoffs. The Steelers miss it. And like, I was like, kind of content. I was like, uh, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't bother me. And, and Mark Caboli, who used to work for DK Pittsburgh, he was like, "Wow, really?" Like, is that? I'm like, "Yeah, man. Like, I was not sure. Like this now, I know I can go to Thailand for this wedding that was that was planned. <laughs> like, like I had those holy plans. Now I can go and not stress about it because like I was thinking I might not be able to make this wedding that my friends are doing. Um, uh, that was an insane trip, but uh, but but yeah, like like it's it's more so now like, you know, I'm part of the, the crew. Like, you know, the the first thing I'm rooting for is a short game. I would not mind <laughs> if this game ended at like three 345 instead of four o'clock. And you yeah. know, it's, uh, and the same thing goes for pit stuff. Like, you know, when it's an earlier game, I'm like, yeah, let's go, let's get out of here. I want, I want to get home eat dinner and still have time to like watch something on TV and hang out with my girlfriend, you know, like yeah. those type of things. So
1: that's definitely part of it. Now, is that a tough transition to make though, to go from being a fan to being a journalist? Um, not if you do it the right way, like like
0: my father always instituted in me is like be fair. like when you're having when you're talking about things, when you're um, um uh when you're uh when you're you know when you're when you're when you're when you're even when you're watching as a fan let's 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 look at this objectively. And so I would always try to come from like where I try to come from in a, in a conversation is I always try to weigh you know multiple sides and see. As far as trying to come in from different sides and consider different options, and like that's where I think I think a lot of fans run into the problem of they can't root for or under they can't they can't find themselves rooting for a player on another team, like uh, like for example, most Pittsburghers hate Lamar Jackson, and I'm like I am not a hater of Lamar Jackson. You know, people like I think he's actually very good, um, and I like I, I like seeing most people succeed unless you're a jerk. Yeah, uh, you know, exactly. Like if, right, like if like if you're someone like who you beat up your wife or you, you do something odd, like that's a whole different story. I'm not rooting for you, sorry. But yeah. the general human being, I want to see someone do well. If, you know, I, 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 I think that's the amazing part of sports, excuse me, um, you know, is trying to see, you know, uh, trying, trying to see how, you know, a person overcomes their own struggles other struggles and, and what, you know, where something's going. So, um, that, that to me is the biggest thing that I, if, if there's a, if you're a fan out there who's doing something like this and you want to break into journalism, you got to find the story in that. And to me, where I found my niche that got me into it was my story was what they did on film, how a player overcame this strength or this weakness or the strength of the other team and showing, you know, concepts and like the mental part of the game, not just the physical part of it. So, um, to me become immersed in those types of things. And then you start to tear away like, Oh, I really want, you know, Ben Roethlisberger to win this game. And you say, you know what? I really appreciated the way Ben Roethlisberger, you know, figured this out or man, this was disappointing to see that he regressed in this way um, from where, you know, that he can achieve certain accomplishments. So um, that, that would be my suggestion, but not, don't let none of that stop, stop you from trying. I, that's the yeah. thing I think I'd say to everyone out there that that wants to go on that path.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, for myself, I've noticed, like, I kind of look at the game the same way you just described. It's like, I just want people to do well. You know, I, I'm fans, I'm not, I wouldn't say diehard fan of other teams and players, but I'm a fan of their work ethic and the, the players that they are. Whereas when I go on Twitter and I try to talk about those people, I have radical Steeler fans. Who are like, oh, how could you root for that person? Blah, blah, blah. And just as like, as that independent podcaster or journalist or whatever you want to call yourself, It kind of puts you down whenever people attack you like that. Yeah. Because it's like, I'm just trying to be fair in what I'm trying to do. And I have these people that they usually like what I say coming at me and being like, oh, you're not a real Steeler fan. And it's like, no, I look at the game as it is. I don't look at it as I'm Steelers or nothing. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I think that's something that a lot of people, uh, they don't really realize is that you have to kind of separate the fandom from uh, the game but you can still at the end of the day be in that you can have a perfect middle kind of. Right. Yeah. I think you
0: can, you, you can find that middle ground. That's not a problem. Um, yeah. At least for me. Um, and, and, and oftentimes I think that's what will set you apart as a journalist is trying to f- figure out, um, um, you know, try to figure out how, how to balance those two, those two worlds, because you still, you still want these guys to win. And like, and like, that's the thing, like a lot of people, we'll we'll will will we'll come at you know say you know you where you're at Cody where you're saying like oh you're a fanboy boy it's like like okay calm the heck down I'm you know yes I am a fan of these teams you know but at the same time I'm also you know I'm also trying to report on this on this thing but you know there's people like Mark Men he tweeted out last night I love the Penguins I'm a fan of the Penguins and it's like it's okay to admit that you are in that situation as long as when you're covering them you don't it doesn't seep through what your work is. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, and, and it's okay. If someone says like, Hey, it's obvious that you like this team you know, it's like anytime I talk about Lamar Jackson, anyone can tell I like Lamar Jackson. I've been a fan of him since he was at Louisville. I'm like that dude knows how to ball. Yeah. Um, the same thing goes for, you know, how the Steelers play. I, you know, I'm a big heat guy in NBA. I love LeBron James. You know, when it comes to, you know, you know, hockey, I want the Penguins to win their games. Uh, you know there's yeah like that part of your game is still part of it but you, when you're doing the work you take that out of it and you say you know what uh like you know when uh I'm trying to think like when, like Mike Hilton Mike Hilton was one of my favorite Steelers to to talk to when I first started when I first started working um 2017 was the first year that again I got to like go in the locker room and start doing that and he was like one of the first people that really opened up to me when I asked like concept questions because a lot of people would give me basic answers like you know cam hayward the, the got guy, the guys that are the team leaders they would give you like good answers but not delve into you know x's and o's but mike would give me really good questions but really good answers there so i became invested i'm like man this mike hilton dude's for real and this was when people still were like not sure who he was yeah. um and but when mike hilton messed up even though in my head i'm rooting for mike hilton to succeed as i'm like man look at this look at this brother go but uh, when he messed up, I still had to say, hey, Mike needed to do this better. And the same thing goes for any player in any sport. You know, when Lamar messes yeah. up, I say, hey, this is a horrible read on Lamar Jackson's part or, you know, uh, you know, anyone out there like, you know, I, I'd say Larry Fitzgerald, because he's one of my favorite players of all time. But Larry Fitzgerald never messes up. So,
1: uh, you yeah. <laughs> know, um, that kind of kind of brings me to it, just the last kind of funny thing is mm-hmm. I I always like to poke fun at the Pirates and like I, I look at them objectively I'm a fan, but I look at them objectively. Anytime they do something bad, I like to point it out. And even if it's not that bad, like I'll point it out and be like, "Oh, same old Pirates," with a little bit of education on the league and like you know all that stuff. And I love whenever DK, he'll 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 comment on whatever I say and be like, "What are you talking about?" Blah blah. blah. And It's like I just love that I'm like the foil to his uh, his writing on the Pirates. <laughs> It's a fun little interaction we always have.
0: No, I think that is the other thing. I think that's the other thing is the interaction that you want to have with your audience because when you do this stuff, don't forget, like you know, people when they talk with you, they don't they read your stuff, but they want to feel like that you're real. They don't want to like you know. I think that's something that we try to do at DK Pittsburgh Sports with all the live cues that we do and the 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 happy hour from Mike's Beer Bar that we do, where we get fans, we get questions from fans, and we work on it um because we want you to understand like hey we hear you we see you we we're we're doing this for you we're not just we're not just doing this uh um we're not just uh you know doing this just because you know we 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 appreciate you you guys giving us feedback as far as what you think and that's why when the comment sections you know i can't always be in every comment section and you know answer every question but i try to and when people say things to me like you know I, i really appreciate it so um I encourage people to get more involved. That's what makes it more fun when more people pay attention to it. More people ask questions about it. More people do things about it. Um, those things, they mean a lot. So uh, I encourage anyone out there, if you ever want to reach out to me, you can follow me on Twitter at Carter Critiques. I- I'm not, you know, unless you ask a really dumb question, because yeah. I will do that. Like if you if you try to get in my business or you try to say something that, that's like messed up, I won't even block y'all. You can still read my stuff. I'll just never see your comment again. Or you just
1: – or you or you get the Yoshi gif. Or the yeah. – I love how it's become a
0: legend, man. For those yeah. I love using my Yoshi hammer. So, that's like, first of all, that's a classic commercial, Cody. Oh, like, yeah. How old are you, Cody? I'm 24. You're 24, i saying. You're a baby. I'm 31. Yeah. Um, or I'm, oh, I just turned 32 last Thursday, too. That's crazy. Uh, but, wow, I'm eight years older than you. That's insane. I, I, I've been on the other side of this conversation so many times in my life, and so it's just wild being – where i'm like wow he's the young buck uh but point being when you're growing up that super smash brothers commercial when super bash first came out and you had all the the Mar- the mario characters just beating each other up yeah mean, i just love that commercial and so when i found i was looking for like a bonk gift just because i wanted to bonk somebody and that came up like oh that's my favorite gift ever so now yeah. i If I if you say something dumb, you get in the Yoshi hammer gift. I I want it to be immortal, and I'm so glad it's become attached to me because people are
1: like, "Yo, you're stealing Chris Carter's thing," and I'm like, "It's my thing,
0: okay, sure, Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And don't get me wrong, I've I've been waiting for DK to just do that on one of my pirates tweets because I I say some of the most ridiculous pirate stuff just to see who says something about it. So.
0: I, I wish he would learn from the, from the Yoshi hammer. Cause he, I don't think he. Like, DK is, is very much in his pathway, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. to him, anything that he likes is what he like. Like when, when, uh, uh what was it? It was Ch- when Chadwick Boseman showed up at Hines field, rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman. Love, yeah. love, love, everything a guy ever did, but he showed up at Hines field for a practice and, and like DK didn't understand why everyone was so enamored. They're like, whoa, whoa, he's like, who the heck is this guy? And I'm like, Black Panther. He's like, Who? And I'm like,
1: oh man, Jackie
0: Robinson. He's like, oh, he he did that. Oh, okay, I get. But like to him, it was like you couldn't understand that this huge phenomenon that was just took over the world. Yeah. Was, and I was just <laughs> like, okay. And, and even if he was being sarcastic and doing that to just kind of like, but he does that a lot. Like he he, like, he loves the Green Lantern and everything outside of the Green Lantern is unimportant. Yeah. I'm like, okay, DK. But I think that's why he hasn't seen the Yoshi. He hasn't because it's a perfect thing. Hit people, oh, yeah. hit people with a hammer because you're not actually <laughs> using violence, but it's it, it looks funny. So.
1: Absolutely. And I also want to talk to you. You you are a big comic book guy. Yeah, I know you've gone on uh, Joey Bag of Donuts podcast, who's also a part of the Podhub Network and talked about uh, WandaVision. I think you stepped in on the episode. He wanted me to come on, but I hadn't seen it yet. And then you came on. You guys had a great episode. So just talk about your connection with uh, comic books and all that. Well, when I was a little kid, um,
0: you know, I I grew up in the in the the, again, you're so young um when i was in kindergarten fox kids was the stuff because as soon as you like as soon as i got out of school my dad picked me up from daycare we would race home to make sure we caught batman the animated series yep uh and then the early 90s man you get some batman like that that's still the best version of batman i've ever seen in any medium you know comic movie TV, whatever that Batman, the enemy series with Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill is the Joker. That is the best continuity, and then of course that how that expanded into the Superman series, the Justice League series, Justice League Unlimited. That to me is the best universe that I've ever seen constructed, and you know that's uh, the, to the people who did that were just amazing. Uh, but then you also had the X Men and, and you know on Fox Kids and all the, all this. And I love that. But then my uncle, my uncle Ben, who was a huge comic book collector for years, um, he one time brought a crate of comic books and he brought it to Pittsburgh cause he lived in Virginia and he handed me a crate. And it was like the, it wasn't the original X-Men, but it was like from the, the X-Men from when like Wolverine and Storm and Nightcrawler and Colossus joined mm-hmm. for like years after that. And then there were a bunch of other randoms in there, man, Cody, I read that thing for years. Like I, <laughs> I there were so many comics in this crate. And, and then the other thing was, if you went to my uncle Ben's house, there were like, there was a basement full of crates like this. And wow. it took me years to finish the one crate that he gave me. Um, but, uh, but it, it was just, it was spectacular. And I fell in love with the X-Men. The X-Men are still my favorite team in all of, uh, in all the comics and stuff. But then, you know, when, when the movies started coming out at first, I was, I actually didn't dig the movies too much. Like, yeah. you know, like the, the early Batman movies, whatever, like, the, like, you know, I, I'm, I still say Batman 89 is, is overrated because the first, the first 10 minutes are amazing. Like, you know, the, Who are you? i Batman. Like that scene, yeah. maybe the best on the best live action footage of a batman in movie history um but outside i thought all those batman movies were bad um i liked the dark knight series that was cool but like and like the the x-men movies for the most part were good but like i wasn't a fan of captain america 1 i wasn't a fan of thor 1 i wasn't a fan of the edward norton hulk i thought iron man 1 and 2 were cool Mm -hmm. um but it wasn't until the avengers happened where i was like okay marvel's got something here and then I've felt like they've just had home run after home run and a couple doubles and a triple and, you know, a strikeout here and there, but, uh, they've been, if they've been spectacular, I've loved them. And, uh, and it's really cool to be able to talk with my dad and my uncles who, you know, they're all nerds in their own ways. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and expand upon that. And then you meet people like Joey, who are just, you know, such a nice guy. And we talk about it all the time and, you know, do all those things. So yeah, I, I absolutely, uh, I absolutely love that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm still much of a nerd and a geek. Um, you know I, you know I, I can't wait for Falcon and the Winter Soldier to come out this Friday. Yeah. Um, I loved WandaVision. I love Star Wars. You know I I'm an I'm also an anime nerd. Like you know I you know I I, I like I like a lot of those mediums. And so it, 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 sometimes my girlfriend's like chill. You know like you <laughs> you, need to, you need to put that put that in its box. But she's also understood why the stories they seem childish. But then when you get into them, you're like okay exactly this, it's just a different medium to tell these versions of stories so um i still love it and i, I still check stuff
1: out all the time ta- all the time yeah and when it comes to uh, falcon and the winter soldier i just want to point out your commentary about it specifically on twitter it gave me a different perspective of the show mm. because you know after i watched the first episode i was like oh i'm a little more interested in the winter soldier story than i am sam's story mm. but then i see your your takes on it and everything and it's like oh okay I'm starting to understand more of what that side of the show is about and then i think we saw it we saw it a lot more in the second episode whenever they went inside saw isaiah and they're in the yeah. baltimore neighborhood and i think that's i'm glad that that's a big part of this uh storyline is just kind of bringing that to the forefront yeah absolutely man um the one thing that i think
0: it's lost and one thing that i think there there could be books upon books of are the lost black people that we have forgotten in American history. And that's kind of what, you know, they're doing with Sam. Like, He's seeing that like, he's being pushed aside for this. For, you know, they told him like, Hey, we're just going to put this this shield in the Smithsonian and you just leave it there and it'll be fine. And, nope. We're using this to give it to another captain America. Cause we didn't want you to be captain America. Yeah. And uh, and then he learned, and then Bucky shows him here's a guy who also was Captain America back in the, back in World War II, and they locked him up because of it. And it makes you think of like have you like if you know Joe Lewis's story. Joe Lewis, you know, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, you know, was an all American, went to World War II and, and, and did stuff for the Army then and came back home, beat Matt Schmeling and all the history that he had. Joe Lewis was robbed of every penny he ever made. And, and no one would give him sponsorship. And if you look up the documentaries and, and the research on him, I mean, Coca-Cola, when Joe Lewis was broke and needed money, Coca-Cola as a company got Max Schmeling, the Nazi boxer, to be, a, to, to be an endorser. To, they paid him to be you know, a, part, a face of their company before they paid Joe Lewis. And they didn't even pay Joe Lewis. and He, he died poor. Uh, And then you find out like Joe Lewis was actually also one of the first ever black professional golfers in this country. And the, 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 uh, you know, after being a national hero an international hero, really, he was you know he was cast aside, and people would would attack him, and, and and things like that. And it was just so sad to see what happened to him. And and he's one of the people we know. There's so many black people out there. When you come across, you're like, man, you are a superhero, and no one knows about you. Why? Because no one cared about you. And, and you know, and you as you go through history, you find more and more of these guys. That was another reason I was so enamored with black history. Um, and uh, and I still am. I'm reading a book about a, a new book on. Uh, uh, on Malcolm X that came out like back in December it's called I think or October it's called the dead are rising and uh you know it, it unearths like you know a lot of the things that black people had to do to survive in you know racist America where we've been hunted we've been killed I mean my family the the origins of my grand- my so my my father his mother like his side of the family they came to Pittsburgh from Lynchburg Virginia because her great great grandfather uh, got into it with the Klan out there and he ran away and first he ran to DC but then like his family found out he was in DC and they were like please come back we need you um to help with sharecropping because we're sharecroppers, all we can do and then eventually he got into it again with the Klan down there and he was like you know what I'm running away so he runs away to yeah. Pittsburgh um and that's where he starts the family here and there's so many stories like that of people running from fear uh, from racism and even here in the north I mean, you know this, it wasn't just the south um so to me in Falcon Winter Soldier, when you're seeing Sam experience it today, because this, those things still exist today. Like, you know, when he goes to the bank and the bank guy's like, yeah. hey, I love you, man. Let me get my picture with you. But then he can't get, but I can't give you this loan. Um, even though you're a superhero that just saved the actual universe. Um, you know, that's that's what a lot of black people go through is they, they they sacrifice their bodies, their minds, and then they're just like, oh, thank you for your service. And here's nothing for it. And, you know, meanwhile, we're, there's a lot of white heroes who, they, they get those benefits, not everyone. I mean, and there's, cause there's horrible stories for everybody, but you see, when you look at the numbers, you look at the history, it usually pales out that this is where racism divides us. So yeah. um, I, I love that they're doing that with this part of the story and showing Sam and letting, and, and showing how he deals with it. I hope that they, I hope that he comes out for this, a stronger person and doesn't mm-hmm. kind of, he stands up to it better. Cause I felt like Luke Cage empowerment. I felt like they needed to do that better in that show um on netflix but but yeah i i love what they're doing i'm glad that you uh i'm, I'm glad my what i was able to what i was saying got yeah. you to think about that more
1: yeah absolutely because like like i said like i was like oh i want to know more about uh bucky's story of like right. trying to redeem himself right but and i still like, want
0: i, I want to know more about bucky's yeah, story. yeah absolutely it, it, But it's like immediately like when sam went home and his family's dealing with the financial problems and he is realizing that like all this work that he did for the rest of the world got him nothing. And he's like, dang, I get that. Like a perfect example, Um, not a perfect example, but when I, so I told you how we fought for those scholarships when I was at Cheney. So we got, we fought for those scholarships, right? Now, one of the scholarships that was available was to help, to pay for your law school or med school. if, If you were at the top of your class at Cheney and you got accepted to Pitt, Temple or Penn State. Well, I finished summa cum laude. I got accepted to Pitt Law. I was the first in line for this scholarship. Only the summer before I get the scholarship. um, And this is, I've graduated Cheney. I've enrolled at Pitt. I've paid my initial fees to get in there. And I'm supposed to have a full scholarship, books, tuition, everything taken care of. I get a call from Pashi. It says, um, we've been directed by the governor's office to not give you the scholarship. And I said, excuse me? And I said, so like everyone? He's like, no, they said just you. And I'm like, was there a reason? And I was like, well, we, are, we, are, we have been told to not tell you. And I said, and, and the person who told me on the phone was obviously an ally. And she was a person I'd spoken with before. And, she, and I was like, is this because I was out front, you know, fighting for this? And she looked at me, she, 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 she kind of like said like, I can't say, but then I was like, okay, I get the message here. And um, so I lost out on tens of thousands of dollars of debt freeness to my yeah. law school education which also impacted how I studied. I had to work jobs in law school that I didn't plan on working and um it was uh you know it was it, it it was you know that I so I get it you know I fought it's like I crazy I fought for this scholarship and then you know all these people and I had even classmates at Pitt who were from Cheney who benefited from the scholarship that you know saw me struggling and it was like dang like that's how that happens so yeah. I, I relate entirely to Sam when he's like, like, dang, like we got nothing out of this. But you still, you still want to go out there, like he's out there fighting bad guys and he doesn't because he knows this is important work. And at the end of the day, if I'm able to help people, what will I do when I go before God after my life's over? And I, and I say, and he asked me, Would you do everything you could with your life? And I say there, no, I felt like just stepping back a bit, you know, or yeah, God, I did what I do everything I could for this fight and for my family
1: yeah yeah, no I just I really appreciate your commentary on it because it helps me to understand the story more obviously um so Chris I want to thank you for coming on uh this is an awesome conversation I really yeah, had a same. good time talking to you um everybody go check out Chris on Twitter at Carter Critiques I believe it is yes Carter Critiques. Carter Critiques uh check him out on uh, Locked on Steelers DK Pittsburgh Sports he's everywhere just go check him out if you go on the internet you'll find him Thank you. Uh, all the links will be in the description as well. And Chris, thank you once again for coming on. Thank you at any time. Vives in Virginia. yeah